to you tonight because we don't want to start this lesson without making sure that you are so sitting in the middle. In fact, we welcome you into the front row. And we know that you are, you are willing and ready to work in our hearts, to really open up our hearts to be able to see truth and to be able to take these stories of the Old Testament and to be able to relate them to our own, to take these lessons where they made mistakes, when they do, when they did it right, when they, when they truly believed in their own self versus when they truly believed in you and the difference in the behavior and the and the consequences or the results. Father, you've got these figures from Hebrews 11, and we go back in the Old Testament to really get a handle on their lives, and we see exactly what faith is, and faith is in action. We see what you are able to do through humans. That is astounding. What you want to do through us, it's astounding. There isn't a one of us tonight that do not come with something. But there's a reason for that. It's because in our something, you want us to grab a hold of you and know that unless we are hanging tight to you, it's not going to happen. Lord, in and of ourselves, we are powerless. And that's why that was so good. Diane Ryder, fill me with, um, yes, your love, but also your power. And then what comes from that is such a blessing, Father, on every one of us. That's what you promised. You promised it in, in the Old Testament, and you continue to promise that to us today. It's really so simple. The choice is only two. We either choose our way or your way. Father, just help us to see that this doesn't have to be complicated. And the reason why it does get complicated is because we don't want to see it this way. But Lord, we just pray tonight as we come and, and we, we sense your presence. We know that you're always with us, that's for sure. But there's something about coming in here tonight. And knowing that you are just so ready to teach us. You want us to know. You want us to live abundantly. And that's not going to happen without you. Lord, we know that there's much that's gone on in a month. I remember last month we prayed for Jack and Mary DeWitt. And now Jack's in poor grief. Father, we continue to just let that family before you because it is hard. And tonight we, we continue to lift Don before you because we, we know what he is going through every day through these treatments. Lord, I am just saying things that I personally know. And Diane's, Diane Brown tonight, Steve. Father, we know that you are just so in the middle of all these situations. And the ones that I've mentioned out loud, but Lord, you know every one of us so well. And so tonight we just surrender. That is the key. It's the key to success, not just for success or things or position or whatever, but real surrender gives us the success with life the way you intended for us to live it. And Lord, help us to get to know you so much that we don't want to miss what you have for us, even though it might be different than what we thought our lives should go. 
But tonight, as we go into more of Hebrews 11, and we, we take the story of Moses and Rahab and Joshua, Lord, may we see how their lives so reflect ours. And how you are a God that hasn't changed, and you want to supply in us and through us this faith that can change us completely, that can move mountains. Father, I love the way that you said that, that faith can move mountains, because mountains we look like are impossible to move. And so many things in our lives seem impossible. But you are the God that knows how to work the impossible. So tonight we want to learn more. And we are ready. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. I love saying this. Open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, first of all. I want to thank so many of you men who have come tonight, and I guarantee you, you'll be home by the first pitch. So, I know, so I think you will be, because you know all the hoopla that goes on beforehand, so I'm pretty sure you'll be home in plenty of time. But, but I'm so grateful that you chose to put this as a priority. I mean, uh, look at it, it's the middle of January, and look how many are here tonight. I'm, I know the Lord is smiling right now. Well, what did I say? Oh. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have a good lesson, I guarantee you. I, I really am all there. <laughs> oh. You know, that happens. You know, and, and I don't know if you've ever been in front of people, but you would be surprised at how you can be thinking one thing and something totally different comes out of your mouth. And uh, I remember singing one time in, in Washington State, and the city that I was singing in that night was Walla Walla, Walla Walla, Washington. Now, you would think, how can you forget that? Well, I did forget the Walla Walla, but I said, it's so good to be in Walla Walla, Wisconsin. That's what I was. <laughs> and Tom did the same thing then as he did tonight. You got it wrong. So anyway, um, open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. And in this chapter, we're going to continue our study I mean, as we've gone through this chapter, we've seen, and we've gone back into Genesis, we've seen Abel, and look at just a couple lines we know about Abel, but boy, was in an astounding couple lines. Abel had faith to believe that what God said was worth obeying, so he gave him the sacrifice that he wanted. That's simple. Remember what we said, faith isn't just believing, faith is putting it into action. You can talk all you want about the faith that you have. Faith is what you truly believe in. Faith, and so faith can be just a, can be millions of things. That's why faith is such an important subject, and that's why we've taken the summer to really go into it. Because faith can mean mean just about anything. Because what what do you put all your stock in? What do you trust? Because it's so easy to trust the things of this world. It's so easy to trust bank accounts or, or jobs or health or even people. 
We can't imagine living life without them. Or, oh, oh dear, wonder if this happens or, or whatever. Faith is what you truly trust and believe in. And that's why we need to go over, do we really trust and believe in an almighty God? Do we really believe what he says in his word, that this is his word talking to us, teaching us, promising us how to live life to the fullest? Do we really believe that? So do we go into it to really want to know what he promised us so that we don't miss how he wants us to live? But not only do we need to believe it, but he's calling us to commit to it and act in it. And every one of these figures that we've been studying, you've watched how faith, when they chose to surrender all and commit and truly believe in, in their God, it changed their life. So Abel, he trusted he simply trusted that when God said, oh, this is the kind of sacrifice I want, he trusted God enough, believed in God enough to say, okay, and he did it. And that's all we really know, except for when Cain killed him. But as far as the faith of Abel, that's what we know. It's that simple. And then we talked about Enoch, and now what a lesson that was, because Enoch showed us that he walked with God after 65 years after he had his son, Methuselah. I don't know exactly what that means, but to me, it, it looks pretty much like he didn't walk with God before. And then after he had his son, Methuselah, then he walked with God. And isn't that so often the way it is, how we think until we really get brought down to the point we realize we can't do it? And then all of a sudden, we get a wake-up call and say, you know what, I think I better. And I think there was that change of life in, in Enoch's life. We saw Noah. I mean, what, what faith it took to believe God, to build a boat that size, to believe when that rain was going to cover this earth when it had never rained before. In the last month, we took a look at we took a look at Abraham, where the promise started. We know that, that God already had a gold, th gold thread of Jesus in Genesis 3. Right after the fall, he was ready to buy us back. Isn't that something? But in Genesis 12, that's when we see where he started the process of opening up Abraham and the covenant and the promise that he was going to bring his son through the line of Abraham. Abraham, then uh, we had a son Isaac, Isaac had a son Jacob. We saw the, the sons of Jacob, we saw the, them turn into the 12 tribes of Israel. We saw how Jacob moved his whole family of 75 to Egypt. We know the story of Joseph. This is faith. Now were any of these people perfect? No. Why does God use imperfect people like us? Because he doesn't have anybody else to work with. Because every one of us is imperfect. However, I, I, I'm praying that through these examples you're seeing 
what a contrast when they live for and by themselves versus when they surrender and let the Lord work through them. So tonight, we move into verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt for he looked to the reward you know what faith will do faith will help you to see that your reward isn't in the thin air faith is when you know that your reward is salvation through Christ and the hope of a future with him forever that's what faith, that's our reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, when I read that, and then I go back to Exodus, and then I read the first 12 chapters of Exodus, and I watch all of Moses, yeah, but I got to laugh when I come back to Hebrews 11, when it says, and he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I'm thinking, how can the writer of Hebrews write that? How can God not say, yeah, but boy, he had 12 chapters in that book of Exodus, that he was just one, yeah, but after another. But remember what we said about this book of Hebrews, and we're going to see it more next month. Is that you don't read any about their the imperfections. You don't see any of their, their mistakes. It's kind of like after somebody passes away. I mean, my dad has been gone for three years now. And every year that he's gone, I remember less and less of anything negative. I just think that man walked on the water. Can't think of anything bad he ever did. But more importantly, we have a God that when he says he'll forgive, he'll remember our sins no more. And all he remembers is the good. So when I look at that and have to laugh and remember all what Moses did at the beginning, I'm reminded of just how the Lord forgives and, and, and remembers our past no more. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish for those who did not believe she did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. That's how, we, that's how far we go with this. So now, move into your Bibles to the Old Testament, and let's talk about Moses. 
Rahab. We don't see the name of Joshua, but we know that he was responsible for being the warrior of conquering the enemies, for being who God had right in the right place at the right time, having the right personality, having the right willingness to listen to God so that those walls of Jericho came down. I thought he was worth mentioning. So as you go back to Exodus, I had you start. Did I give you enough for a month? You bet. You bet I did. I had you start in chapter 4 of Exodus. But let me just start in chapter 2 because I want you to see, I want you to see just how God prepares. To me, that is something big. And I, I think it's a personal lesson because God has a purpose for every one of us. And he loves to take every day and prepare us. Every day is a preparation for how he's going to use us the next day. And as I watch Moses unfold into the person that he turned out to be, boy, it took a lot of work for God to work on this man. And it kind of gives me a confidence that, yep, he's still working on me. He's still working on me. He doesn't give up on us. He's continually growing our faith so that we trust him more, so that we surrender more, so that then we see less of us and more of him in our lives. Because that's what I see in Moses. When we talked about the tribes of Israel, we talked about last month the 12 sons of, of Jacob that became the 12 tribes of Israel. But then when you go down the list, you notice that in the 12 tribes, there's no Levi and there's no Joseph. And you see Ephraim and Manasseh's name in there, and you think, who are they? And those are Joseph's sons. And the reason why Levi is not in the list of the tribes, he doesn't gain any land, because the tribe of Levi is going to be the priestly line. And all the other tribes are going to take care of the line of Levi because they're going to be the religious part of the group. And I don't know why God chose to, to put Joseph out of the tribes and put Ephraim and Manasseh, his sons, in. I don't have any answer for that. Maybe we can ask him someday. But the 12 tribes of Israel are the 12 sons of Jacob. So I hope you understand that. But look how God prepared. Look right, right from the start. To gain a priestly line, he started with a Levi man and a Levi woman. So in chapter 2, it says, A man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi. And so in that chapter, it says Moses was born. And such, you know, so many of our Sunday school stories are found in that chapter. And so we know in just a few verses, how at three months, and we just read it from Hebrews 11, that there was something special about this child. And because the king said that every child, every boy, baby, had to be drowned in, into the river. Every girl could live. 
And so Moses was getting it. Now, why? Why on earth was he such a special child? Why did this mother have a sense to hide him? See how God works. God is working in this mother. God's got a plan going. God knows how he's going to use this man. Doesn't that give you some encouragement tonight? He knows you, and he knows me, and he knows the plan, and he knows how we need to get prepared. And so already he started with this mom and this dad, and now we've got this problem, and so the mother hides, and then, and then there is that baby in the bulrushes, and here comes Pharaoh's daughter, and then there's Miriam. Now that's not coincidence. That's detail. And God is the God of details. And so then we see how then Miriam said, well, I know, I'll, I'll let a, this, this lady take care of him until he's weaned, and then we will bring him back. Boy, I give Moses' mom credit, don't you, to be able to turn him over to Pharaoh's daughter, to let him, let her claim him as hers. And then look at verse 10. The child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. Well, then we know, we know the story is that as Moses grew as Pharaoh's daughter, he still had a heart as we read in Hebrews 11. Instead of falling into all the, the wealth and the position of being Pharaoh's son, he knew who he was. And so he saw this Egyptian and Israelite fighting. He killed the Israelite, and then he saw two Israelites fighting. And then they turned and exposed him and said, Oh, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did the Egyptian? He knew he was doomed. And so what he did was he ran. He ran to a little town called Ruel, where he met seven daughters of a man named Jethro, down in verse 16. And this man was a priest of Midian. Now, I don't know, I've read this story many times, but this month, I wanted you to know who this man was. And you know what I found out as I went back into Genesis? Remember after Abraham had Isaac, and then Sarah died, and then it said that Abraham married another, another gal. She had sons. Remember last month I said, whoa, Abraham, because look how old he was when he had Isaac. And yet the Lord allowed him to marry again after Sarah died, and she was able to have sons and one of these sons was the Midian. Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh. And then it says, into the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And where I got this was from Genesis 25, just in case you want to be able to look at that someday. And so this is what, who they believe that this man is. And so he, he is from 
from this family. And so now this priest of Midian, verse 16, had seven daughters, and they came into water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Ruel, their, to where their father was, he said, how is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. Well, then he wanted those girls to bring this man back. He, they brought him back. Verse 21, then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. They had a couple of sons. Moses was 40 when he became a shepherd. And he was a shepherd for his father-in-law for 40 years. So we're not talking as we read it quickly. We just have to see how the Lord is in, he doesn't hurry. He knows when we're ready. He's no respecter of age. And so Moses is working for 40 years. I'm sure he says he's content. I'm sure he thinks this is how he's going to end up in life. And then all of a sudden, there is a bush that he notices that is burning and yet not burning up. And so he goes over to that bush. And he heard God in chapter 3, verse 4. God called to him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, moreover he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I, I underlined every time I saw in these chapters, you're going to see how powerful when you read these two words, I am, and what that means. I am means there's no question, there's no doubt. The Lord said this. Now this is, look at verse 7. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrow. Now what does that verse say to you about the God that you serve? You're going through the hardship that you're going through. What does a verse like that remind you of? When it seems like he's not there, when you, when you think that he's not answering, when you think that it's getting by him. 430 years, these people, the Lord allowed that long in every one of our lives. It seems like that suffering doesn't end. He's not in a hurry. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's going to accomplish through it. That verse to me says that, yes, he sees. Look, I've surely seen. 
Look at else it says, I've heard. So when you're crying out to him, you're not talking to a bunch of air. Guess what? You're talking to two ears that are hearing. And who's watching you. And then look what else he says. Because of your taskmasters. For I know. So you've seen. I see. I hear. And I know. I know what you're going through. So at just the right time. According to this. These formative years. That was the perfect timetable. We don't know why. We don't know in our own lives. How come a timetable. God knows it. And this is where our faith comes in. Do we believe that his timing is perfect? It's so easy to say it. But yet we want him to move faster. We don't want to go through this anymore. We've had enough. I don't like this. I think I'm going to shake my fist at you. This verse, I think it's worth Xing or underlining or something. This reassures you and me. He always knows. He always sees. And he always hears. And at just the right time, look at verse says, verse 8 says, he'll do something about it. And then, now, starting in verse 11, now in the next couple of chapters, you just watch the Yahweh. When God said to Moses, I'm moving you. I've planned this. I've prepared you. Forty years in the house of Pharaoh, 40 years as a shepherd. You had to go through the ups and downs of life. I needed to get you to this point. Okay, boy, you're now ready for me to use you for the what I've called you to do. Verse 11. What is your Bible? What's the first word that, that your Bible starts with? <laughs> you check to see how many times you say, well, I have faith. I believe, but... See how many times you say that. And do you know that when you say the word but, you just cancel what you just said. Because when you trust, when you surrender, there's no buts. And you watch in the first 12 chapters, you watch how many times. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Look, the Lord comes back every time and says, I will certainly be with you. Boy, that's another one to underline, another promise that he's trying to say to you. I will never call you to do a job without making sure you know I'm with you. You will never have to do a job that I call you to do alone. <laughs> You'd mess it up anyway. Pretty much what he's saying. And he says, and this will be a sign to you that I've sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You will serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, who is his, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Oh, but this is never mind. Whenever your doubts start coming, when your trust and your faith starts wavering, 
you come back to this verse and let God speak it to you because he is. He wants to put his hands on your cheek and he wants to say to you, I am who I am. That's what you say. You tell him, I am has sent me, has sent me to you. heard God say that to you, wouldn't you think, oh, okay. Chapter 4, when Moses answered and said, what's the next word? I know different versions, but mine happens to say, but. Then Moses answered and said, but, suppose, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose, they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Look at verse 11. Look what the Lord says. So far, the Lord has been very patient. He knows Moses needs to be taught. So the Lord said to him in chapter 4, verse 11, who has made me? Because in verse 10, what excuse did he give this time? Oh, no, I don't know how to talk right. I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. Maybe the guy stutters. I don't know. He's got some cockamamie excuse. After God said, you just tell him I am is the one that sent you. But you think about, before you get too upset with Moses, um, have you ever done that? When you've heard God say, you have nothing to worry about because I will never call you without making sure you know I'm with you. Yeah, but. Yeah, but I got this and I don't know this. And, and so the Lord said, who has made man, man's mouth, or who makes the mute, deaf, the seen, or the blind. Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you are to say. Verse 13, what does your Bible start out with? <laughs> are you getting my point here? After an almighty God is saying these words, but, oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. What is he basically saying? Just send someone. All right, now, very next verse. Now, I want you to see what the Lord does with all of our yabba. After a while. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he's already coming, and you haven't even asked, and I've already sent the solution. What does that tell you about your problem? He knows the solution. He knows your solution. 
Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall say. Now verse 21, I want you to see, you're going to start maybe to question why the Lord kept doing this. Verse 21, and then toward the end of the verse, well, it says, and Jesus said to, and, and the Lord said to Moses, when you come back to Egypt, see that you do those wonders before Pharaoh, which I put in your hand, but I will harden his heart. I remember reading that the first time. I'm thinking, why would you harden Pharaoh's heart when you want to get the people out of there? Well, I think we're going to find the answer. Then you will say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son. This is a beautiful analogy. God says to Moses, Israel, the nation of Israel, they look like nothing but poor slaves, but they are my son. My firstborn. So I say to you, let my son Go that he may serve me. What a beautiful way to say to Sarah, say to Pharaoh, God's son, the people of Israel right now, because before Jesus, people of Israel are the method to kick Jesus here. So right now, this is God's son. Let my son son go that he may serve me but if you refuse to let him go indeed I will kill your son your firstborn now we know how this story goes wasn't that profound to say that verse before it all transpires okay now verse 24 verse 24 I think look at this and it came to pass on the way at that at the encampment that the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to kill him. That, that really, I had to sit there for a while. I'm thinking, now why? You have prepared and prayed to yours. And now you, you're going to kill him? Why are you going to kill him? Well, because he wasn't obedient. You and I remember way back in Abraham's day, there was going to be a specific sign that would show that the Israelites were God's people. God said, this is what it's going to be. It's going to be circumcision. That is going to be the sign that you belong to me. And for some reason, Moses didn't do that to his boy. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking there's trouble in the home here. I think him and Zipporah are having an argument. I think Zipporah said, you're not going to mutilate my babies. And for some reason, Moses is thinking, you know, I'll just keep peaceful. And so maybe we'll just slip this one by. 
I don't know, maybe you're thinking I'm reading way too much in this. I'm just looking at the family situation. And Aaron, Zephora's outburst, look at this. Okay, when the Lord was going to kill Moses, then all of a sudden, Zephora, she grabs a sharp stone and she cuts off the foreskin of her son and casts it at Moses. See, can't you just hear her say, Slayer. So you've got your way. Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So, because of obedience, what does God promise? Disobedience will always bring death, always. God's judgment for sin will always be death. But when there's obedience, there's life. So, but I think there's trouble in the home, and I think there's bad attitude right here, and I hear her repeat. She said it again. You are a husband of blood because of this circumcision. In the verse 27, it's like the subject changes. But let me just insert. I think because there was trouble, because there was friction between Moses and Zipporah and was, and Zipporah was not going along with Moses, I think Moses or Zipporah said, I'm going home. I'm going home. We do not see Zipporah again until Exodus 18 when her daddy brings her back and says, this is where you belong. This is quite the story. Okay, now we know what happens and what happens is that the Israelites seem to, after Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, Pharaoh makes it even worse. And now they have to make verse 18. It says, therefore, go now and work, for no straw will be given to you, yet you still have to deliver the quota. In chapter 5. Then look at him, chapter 6. After the end of 5, Moses went to the Lord and said, this is awful. It's worse now. I mean, things even worse. Thanks a whole lot. The Lord comes back in chapter 6 and says, now you will see what I will do With a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. And then, I hope you saw as you read this sixth chapter, I hope you underlined how many I am's, how many I will's. What a chapter to go back and refer to, to remind you and I that it will always be the I am. And his I will, he will always accomplish. And after all of those I am's and I will's, look what verse 12 says in chapter 6. Moses said, the children of Israel have not eaten me. How then shall Pharaoh keep me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. 
Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them, what does your Bible say? A charge, a command, no negotiation, no suggestion, a command. Verse 30. What is your verse 30? What words, what does it start with? But Moses repeats and said, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. Chapter 7 gives us the reason why the Lord's going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. Verse 5. This is the reason. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. There's your reason. To me, that verse shows that all of Egypt, after those ten plagues, all of Egypt is going to have an opportunity to what? Say yes to the one true God. I think that's why in the Old Testament we see so much death and destruction is because they say no to God. And in the Old Testament, God says, okay, I'm going to show them that I mean business. God had a plan through these ten plagues. And you're going to see them in the next chapters. We see the first one was water into blood. The second one was frogs. The third one was lice. The fourth was flies. The fifth was livestock dying, six was boils, seven was hail, eight was locusts, nine was darkness. And in so many of those plagues, it's like Pharaoh was about to give in and it said the Lord hardened their heart, his heart. And I think I made mention of it last month. But through all these ten plagues, God is He's going to show Egypt who he is and that they have a choice to turn to him. And it keeps hardening, hardening Pharaoh's heart because there is no way there will ever be deliverance through flies or lice. When Pharaoh was tempted to give in, God hardened his heart because he knew that that tenth plague had to happen because that was going to be the ultimate deliverance by blood sacrifice, which again we see in the New Testament is our Savior. The only way we can be saved is through the blood of the sacrifice lamb. So we see all the plagues. We see the nine plagues. And then in chapter 10, in chapter 10, I had a couple of you write to me because this confused you. Not that I have all the answers, but it gets me to really look it up. Then Pharaoh said to Moses, get away from me. 
take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. Oh, that was a, a heavy threat. Don't you dare come near me again, because if you die, you're a dead man. So Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Then chapter 11 starts right away. Now, the reason why I believe these, because Moses, just, Moses wrote this book. So Moses knows exactly what happened. He knows that Pharaoh gave him a threat, a major one, a death threat. And yet right after that, look what the Lord does. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to bring one more plague to Pharaoh. In other words, God is saying, don't be afraid, Moses, of any threat of a mere man because I got a plan. And my plan is to bring one more plague. I just love that. In fact, I wrote that in, the, in my Bible right on the side so I don't ever forget that the Lord always gets the last word. And he never is afraid of threats. And so then you know that he now instructs the people, this is what I want you to do. Chapter 12, verse 21, then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house in the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. Now look at verse 24. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. So in other words, he's saying, you're going to do it this first time, but I want you to commemorate this, what we're going to call Passover, because the angel of death is going to pass over, because you've got the blood sacrifice on your doorpost. And so I want you to, 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 every year, I want you to commemorate this thing. Because as your families grow and as you have children, I want you to be, I want you to be able to say, we're doing this because this is what God did. This is how God delivered us. But he uses that word forever. And I thought to myself, once Jesus came, when the disciples and Jesus were in the upper room and they had the, the last supper, it was the last Passover 
that they had to commemorate because Jesus was going to go to the cross and be the lamb, the blood sacrifice. So we won't have to sacrifice through a lamb anymore. But yet he said we're to commemorate forever. Even though we don't celebrate this Passover, we celebrate what it stands for. What do we call it now? The Lord's Supper. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to keep doing this. I want you to take this symbol of wine and bread, and I want you to know this is what I came to do for you. Because I want you to keep telling your kids. Well, now we know from chapter 13 exactly what happened. Now, chapter 14, I know I'm spending a lot of time with Moses, but I want you to see the contrast of when this man decided to surrender and walk by faith. When his job butts were over. And it happened in chapter 14. I just know, and I wrote in my Bible, Moses changed. And I don't know if it was chapter 13 when he saw the relevance of every firstborn of the Egyptians. When he, when he saw all ten plagues and then the final plague, I don't know what it was. But in chapter 14, when the million plus people exited, and Moses led that big group and he kept and they kept following him and he was their leader and I don't know when the change came but all of a sudden he decided he decided to believe and trust and put it into action because when he stood at the Red Sea in chapter 14 and that big Red Sea was an impossibility and when he looked behind him and he heard the horses coming from behind, and he knew we are sandwiched into two, between two impossibilities. And look at the people. Look at the people said. Starting with verse 11, they said to Moses, what in the world are you doing this? Was it because there was no more graves in Egypt? Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up from Egypt? How quick they forgot. So they're saying to Moses, why in the world? They totally forgot the ten plagues. They totally forgot the deliverance in plague number ten. They totally forgot and said, what in the world, Moses? Look at verse 13. I put a big star here because this proved to me that he is walking by faith. He not only believes, but he is changed and he is walking it. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. For the Egyptians whom you see today, 
you will see again no more forever. That's quite a big statement when he has no idea what God is going to do. Isn't that what Hebrews 11.1 1 says? Faith is just having the hope and the belief in him. When you can't even see, chapter 14, verse 13, that's what faith looks like. Moses is a changed man. This is what it looks like to walk by faith. When you have no idea how God's going to do it, you just know he will because he promised. We saw how the water separated. A million plus people get through. Verse 28, in chapter 14, the waters returned, covered the chariots, the horsemen, all the army of Pharaoh. And look at this statement. Not so much as one of them remained. Chapter 15, boy, Moses breaks into song. The people break into song. His sister Marion breaks into song. And look what they're saying. I sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Who is like you, O Lord? Verse 11. Verse 18. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. The very same chapter, verse 24. And the people, come on. And so the Lord told them what to do. Moses did it. Look what the end of 25 said. Look what the Lord is always doing to you and me. And to our faith, what is he doing to it? What does the Bible say in verse 25, chapter 15? He's testing us. And he said, verse 26, and here's, the, here's your choice. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, Give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. You would think that's a no-brainer. Verse 3 of chapter 16, and the children of Israel said to him, and that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat. That is just ridiculous. They're in dream world. They think that Pharaoh gave him meat and all good food. When the last I heard, they took away the straw to make bread. The Lord said to Moses, verse 4, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quarter every day. There again, 
that I'm testing whether they will walk in my law or not. What do you want to remember from that? You've got a God that loves you so much and expects you and commands you to walk by faith in his word. And he will continually test you to see if you're a bunch of hot air or a bunch of religious people or if you're the real deal. And then he said, I'm going to test them. I'm going to send it every day until the sixth day. Yes, I'm going to see if they're going to listen because I'm not going to send it on the Sabbath. And so I want them to, I will give double in order to collect double. I'm going to test them to see. Doesn't that sound like a test the Lord does to you and me? I'm going to see if they're going to listen. Look at verse 12. After all this food and this delicious manna, they're belly aching again. So the Lord says in verse 13, so it was that quails came up and eat. So he gave them meat to eat. Look at verse 35. Look at the end of this chapter. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to the inhabited land. They ate manna until they got to the border of Canaan. Okay, in chapter 17, I want you to see that they're complaining again because as they're traveling on, now they don't get water again. Now, look at all they've been through. The Red Sea, water, manna, quails. So, okay, they get to a place where there's not water in. The Lord is testing them. What is he expecting them to say? I trust you, Lord. But no, no. Moses says in verse 4 of chapter 17, what shall I do with these people? Moses is starting to get exasperated. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will stand, verse 6, I will stand before you there on the rock, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out. So he did. He struck the rock, water came out. The Lord supplied again. Chapter 18, and Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, heard of all that God had done for Moses and the people of Israel. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, with her two sons and came back to Moses. Moses was so glad to see them. In verse 9, Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel. Verse 10, Jethro blessed, said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you. Verse 11, Jethro said, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. He is above them all. 
Then Jethro, Moses' son-in-law, took a burnt offering and another sacrifice as an offer to God. Jethro proved himself. He says, Moses, you're burning the candle at two ends. And I think it's just getting a little much for you. So let me give you this suggestion. And you know, sometimes the Lord really uses a secondary person. Especially when you know that he's walking with the Lord. And I think that's why Moses made sure we knew where, jo where Jethro stood with the Lord. You don't take advice from someone who's not walking with the Lord. So in verse 24, so Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And it sounds like it went a whole lot better. Chapter 20, we see that now God is going to give the law and the Ten Commandments. I hope you read this and saw the power of God, how he said, keep the people here. Keep the people down. Only you I will take up. I mean, it, it's just such a beautiful story of God's power. And yet God's love and making sure. And, and remember, the Ten Commandments, even though as we, we read in Exodus and Leviticus, there's so many intricate little things that Jesus has fulfilled. But the Ten Commandments are exactly that. He commands. They have not changed. And look at in verse 20 of chapter 20. The reason why God has given you the Ten Commandments, why, us, God, why God has given us, his people, because he said, do not fear, for God has come to test you that his Fear may be before you so that you may not sin. To me, Exodus 20, 20 is a very powerful verse. You've been given the Ten Commandments so that you don't sin. Every one of those Ten Commandments, he means it. Okay, now. Flip to Exodus 32. I'm just going to jump ahead. And as you know, Moses was on Mount Sinai getting all these laws one after the other. Apparently, he was up there a long time. You know the story as well as I do. And if this doesn't break your heart, something's wrong. If you jump ahead of God, if you think, well, I, God's taking too much time. If you can't be still and wait for him, I'm telling you, this was a story to beat all. Shame on Aaron. You know the story? They wanted someone, something to worship. Aaron says, bring all your gold. So what happens is that, yep, 
they build this golden calf. They worship the golden calf. The Lord says to Moses in verse 5 of chapter 33, you better get down there. No, ma, excuse me, verse, chapter 32, excuse me. In chapter 2, 32, the Lord says to Moses in verse 7, go get down for your people whom you have brought out of the land have corrupted themselves. So Moses comes down. You know what happens. He sees what's going on. Throws the tablets. They break into pieces. Verse 20, then he took the calf which they made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder. He scattered it on the water, made the children of Israel drink it. Then he went to his brook and said, Aaron, what did these people do to you that you brought so great a sin upon them? Look at Aaron's response. Do not let the anger of my Lord, in other words, you, don't get so mad at me, Moses. You know these people. They're set on evil. And then look at verse 24. He said, then Aaron said, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire. Voila, this calf just appeared. I'm so glad you laughed because I did too. But doesn't that sound like our laughable excuses sometimes? That's ridiculous, Aaron. So you know what the Lord says to do? Gather. Gather the people, whoever, verse 26, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together. See, the tribe of Levi, they're the ones that dared stand up and come. And so Moses said, put your swords on and go to it. Let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of people fell that day. I'll tell you, God is trying to show us sin will always reap death. Well, we know that the Lord gave Moses another set of tablets and but as we finish up Moses' life, I just I just want you to know that I, I went looking through the book of Numbers because Moses wrote Numbers too. And there's a little more detail in Numbers. And in Numbers chapter thirty two, verse thirteen is where the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel. And so in other words, the Lord does have his limits. And he made
made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. So you know what Exodus really is? It's a trip that would have lasted approximately 11 days if they would have walked with him. Exodus shows us what happens when you're done. A trip that should have taken 11 days took 40 years. Sometimes we don't get what, what we think we want and need. is because we haven't surrendered and walked behind him and let him lead. What did he give them? A pillar by day, a pillar of fire by night. He was leading every step of the way. They would have just followed 11 days. I'm telling you, that's not a lesson I learned. Well, I also know that Moses, and you know the story, is when they get to Canaan border. After the 40 years, They're still belly aching. And, and, you know, this isn't, I don't think it's right, right after the 40 years, it's toward the end of the 40 years, and the people are still belly aching. And so the Lord says, okay, Moses, go to the rock and speak to it. And we know that Moses does not speak to the rock. Instead, I'm just going to read this to you. It's from Romans chapter 20. The Lord said to Moses, take the rock, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield the water. Moses looked at his hand you know what, this is such a lesson. I mean, this man is so blasted mad. This is what anger looks like when it's not controlled. So he strikes it, and the Lord says to him in verse 12, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes. In other words, to be the example you need to be. You shall not pass this assembly into the land which I've given them. Can you imagine? From Exodus 14, when he has been faithful and taken these belly aching people all the way through, and he makes this one mistake. God's serious. So, we know that in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, I'm sure I had this for you to look up. In, Je in Deuteronomy chapter 34, then the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. I've caused you to see it with your eyes, but you are not to pass over. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there. 
in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And the Lord buried him. But no one knows to this day where his grave is. That's the thing. How do we know that the Lord loves Moses and the Lord forgave Moses? And even though there was consequences, I went to the story for the transfiguration in Matthew 17. And remember when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain, and all of a sudden, who appears? Moses and Elijah by the fire. Don't you just love the way all this scripture fits together? I knew my main time was going to be on the life of Moses, but I, I want you to see the difference between Exodus 2 and 13 versus Exodus 14 to the end, Deuteronomy, Numbers. Just to watch his change of life. Is he perfect? No. Does the Lord deal with sin? Yeah. Are there always consequences? Yeah. But the Lord loved Moses and he was gracious to him. In fact, to the point where Moses just went up to the mountain and the Lord buried him. But then, boy, were there... Boy, were there big shoes to fill. And so, just very quickly, as we turn to Joshua, they have now moved into the promised land. So the Lord takes a man with a different kind of personality. To me, this always shows that the Lord knows how to use us. He knows how to use Mary in this area. He knows how to use Tom in this area. He knows how to use Hazel in this area. He knows how to use Jack in this area. He knows how to use Linnell in this area because he gives us different gifts and abilities. And Joshua was so different than Moses. He was a warrior. And he knew how to fight because there were many enemies that Israel were going to have to fight to gain the promised land. And Joseph was the man. Look what, look what God told Joshua. In verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua chapter 1. Now therefore, arise, go over Go over the Jordan, and you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. It's like exactly what he said to Moses, I will not leave you. As God said those words to Moses, as he said those words to Joshua, he says those exact words to you and me. He says, be strong. Be courageous. Where do you get your strength and courage? Where does strength and courage come? 
when every part of you is the weakling. I'm sure Moses is saying, oh my goodness, how can I, how can I do this? And the Lord is saying to each one of us, when we feel inadequate, he's saying, would you, I will not call you without saying, I'll be with you. So be strong. I'll give you the strength. Be courageous. I'll give you the courage. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. This is how you stay strong and courageous and living by faith. Trusting in him when you don't understand or see. Because you're in his word, hearing him talk to you. And telling you the same words he told Moses and Joshua. But he's saying, observe the law. Observe this book. Observe my words to you and my commands, my instructions, my proverbs, my examples through people. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. There it is. Is that complicated? Do you, want, do you want to walk by faith? Do you want to be strong and courageous? Do you want to fulfill the plan that he's got for you? Do not let this book leave, leave you. Have I not commanded you? In other words, he said, I'm commanding you. This isn't if you feel like it. This is what I command for my children. Verse 8, do you want success or not? It's that simple. I hope you, I hope you saw the faith of Rahab. In, in Joshua chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. I don't have to go into all the details. There was a baby woman who heard who saw, who chose to listen, who chose to believe. It's called all she had was a little mustard seed of faith. But that's all she needed. And if we have a mustard seed of faith, who comes through? When God can see faith and trust, even though he knows he's got to keep growing it, you better know that when he sees our heart, he fulfills his purpose and his plan. And when the walls of Jericho came down, but I have to say, when Joshua, the warrior, I'm sure he expected to get all the men together and all the swords and all the ammunition. And what did God say? Nope, I just want you to walk around the wall. For a warrior, that must have been a utter disappointment. Like, you've got to be kidding me. But what did Joshua, instead of saying, 
You've got to be kidding me. No, the Lord appeared before him. And Joshua says, I get it. And Joshua listened. And Joshua obeyed. And on that seventh day, when Joshua said, shout, the walls came down. And everybody in Jericho was destroyed except Rahab and her family. Now, why were they destroyed? Because they could have heard, they could have seen, they could have chose to believe. But they didn't. So, judgment reads death. You believe? Rahab's family, Rahab's family was saved. And then did you notice that love part? Or because Rahab and her family had nowhere else to go because everything's destroyed. So what does God say to her? Just join up with them. Anybody who has a heart willing to confess and repent and believe and trust, I'll take them. I don't know if you did any searching, but you know, Rahab marries an Israelite guy. Rahab has a little baby boy. If you follow Matthew 1, you will notice who's Rahab in the line of Jesus. You will notice Jesus puts Rahab in his line, in the lineage of Jesus, there's Rahab. Because of that little mustard seed. Because confession and repentance will cause you to be saved. And she married Israelite. She had a little boy. And according to Matthew 1, her little boy's name was Boaz. Boaz married Ruth. Another pagan woman who chose to believe and confess and repent and live by faith and say, I want your people to be my people, and I want your God to be my God. And what does God say? Gotcha. And Ruth through line of Jesus. What does this say? Jesus loves us, but he commands, he demands, he expects. He's going to keep testing that word faith in us. I don't think that these chapters, this one, could have proved anything anyway. Let's pray. Father, as we close this night, we've gone through a lot we touched on three people that have been extraordinarily saved. Lord, may we see the relevancy of going into the Old Testament and see exactly why and what you want us to learn from this. And it's very simple. You want us to trust you. You want us to surrender to you. You want us to let you change our life so it's no longer about me, but it's about you. That we dare want your will and not our own. Because that's success. Success isn't our way. 
Success is the real thing. And we want your way. Lord, help us to see it's bright and black and white. Now may your spirit take these words off these pages, bring them to our heart. That as we leave here tonight, we are no longer the same. Thank you, Jesus, that you've got a name above all names. That kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But your name saved us. Your blood saved us. Thank you, God in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for being faithful. Oh, it's great, all right. And that faithfulness is brand new every morning for us. And Lord, may we dare surrender. That's when we are going to find success. In Jesus' name. Have a good night. Have a good month. See you in August.